If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash show, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktune.com slash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today, this is the last episode that we have from the Great Lakes Racing Expo. Uh, hanging out right now with uh, Justin Hilly and my buddy Jason Kohler. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Everyone's a little tired. Not too much, Austin. So, yeah, and both of you guys are our Miata guys and work in the industry, which is pretty badass. So, I think, what, Justin, you've been racing Spec Miata for what? Four Shit. or five years? This would be my uh, no. This would be my sixth year. Actually. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you were actually. I think you got mentioned in our our runoffs podcast too because I was talking to you like right before it rained and everything. So. Oh, cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And then Jason, I've known Jason since what 2000? Shit, 2011 maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 2011. Honda Meet 2011, 2012, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then we did S2000 stuff, and then you got a Miata, and then I got a Miata. Actually, you drove my Miata first. You convinced me to buy yeah. a Miata. Yeah, yeah, at ITR Expo in 2012, uh, I had that red Miata that we just kind of passed around to everybody. Like, literally everybody. I think you drove it. A lot of the TTCS 2000 guys drove it. The so, slutty red Miata. Yeah, man. Did you ever get to drive it? Mm-mm. No? You drove my FRS, though. I did, yep. Yeah. That was good. So, but yeah, so I, I have this thing with just, like, passing around cars. I was never like that with my S2000, <clears> but pass it around. Uh, I remember Jason's uh, XPTE car now, like before he even bought it, he brought it out to the track, like bone stock, RE11s, like <laughs> open diff, roll bar. You know, I think you just got it like a couple weeks before. Yeah, yeah. So, because at that time we kind of had made a pact that we were all going to race uh, PTE. And then my PTE donor became the K Miata. So, kind of got, I don't want to say screwed over on that deal, but. It would have been really fun to come out and race with you guys. You still can. I know I can, but now I got to build a spec Miata. So, which you are are currently uh, building one, right? Correct. Yep. Uh, PTE car had for three years and sold, and so to try something what, new. Four national championships in that car. Uh, two three. at Miller. Three or yeah, two PT and two TT. Yeah, yeah. So four total yeah. uh, PT and TT each year, 2013 and 2015. Correct. Road Atlanta wasn't very kind to you. No, I had a bad year. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't quite have the power, right? <laughs> so, but that car, I mean, that car went through some different iterations. Uh, arrow, no arrow, which I think, what, finally you ended up no arrow. I think. Started with uh, no arrow, then went arrow, then took the arrow off at the uh, at uh, Miller in 2013. Yeah. And ran no arrow uh, all the way until this year. I put an air dam back on for okay. uh, VIR. I haven't, so I haven't been to many events with you, but uh, uh, lately. But it used to be like, so Kohler had this thing where you know he'd run decent lap times and stuff, like no big deal, just running like first in class, second in class, third in class, and then all of a sudden, last session of the weekend, just like pulls off a flyer every weekend, every weekend, <laughs> man, just like what the hell? 
So I, I remember that uh, very well, actually. Yeah, my competitors love me for that. <laughs> they think they got it in the bag and then yeah. look at the time slip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sandbagger. Yep. That was the same way at Nationals in 2012 with the S2000. So because 2012, you also won the H1 National Championship mm-hmm. uh, and the TTB National Championship in the same car. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that car was really light, too. And, I mean, you're a skinny, dude. So that helps. <laughs> But <laughs> I mean, throughout the weekend, you're uh, you're trying with or without the wing, with or without the air dam. I've seen you plugging up. Oh, your, it, uh... like at Miller. Yeah, yeah the year that you guys took the toter or the stacker out yeah. to Miller. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was, which was pretty sweet. I was trying to bring the FRS out that that year too, but that didn't end up working out. I ended up, I think, I moved back to Atlanta that year. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was the thing. Like the car. I mean, you drove the FRS. Um, yeah, I did. It was a pretty pretty well set up car. But at the time, I had uh, different maps on the ECU to where you could like hold the control stock back and kind of go through four different maps. And I emailed Greg Greenbaum. I was like, hey, how do we take care of this? And he copied me and all the other regional directors on it. And like, I don't think they ever figured out what to do, like how to do that. So because my fear was that like my E85 tune was like tune four. But when you start up the car, it automatically like just switches to the first tune. So, like, just the it defaults to tune one, which was my 93 pump gas tune. So I was afraid I was going to get there and have it on the dyno, and they were going to dyno it on the pump gas tune, and it was going to blow up. Which, it blew up anyway, but... So, <laughs> so what made you go Spec Miata from, uh, from PTE, Jason? Uh, well, Justin's been trying to get me to go Spec Miata for years now. Dude, he tried to get me to go Spec Miata, too, like, way back in the day, but... So you finally you finally gave in, huh? Yeah, Spec Miata is very appealing from the standpoint of uh, it's such a competitive class, and there's there's so many cars that run every weekend. You know, basically wherever you go, you're gonna have thirty, maybe even sixty cars, and yeah. a lot of excellent drivers, a lot of well prepped vehicles, and so looking forward to it as a new challenge. Yeah. So and you're building a car from scratch, right? Yep. So yeah, I mean you're an engineer, so you're kind of a glutton for punishment in that regard. Most people would just be like, oh, I'm gonna buy a Spec Miata. And uh, Jason's like, no, nope, he's got something I, to prove. Yeah, I got to build one from scratch. <laughs> Built this car with my own two hands. Yeah. So what uh, what chassis did you end up going with? I went with the 99. Okay. So I uh, was trying to decide between the 99 and the VVT. Um, right. Figured I'd just uh, do the 99. That's what I had for my PTE car. I'm very familiar with it. Not that the VVT is all that different. But. Right. So, and, and Justin, you have a 99 currently, too, that you've had Correct. for the past couple seasons, I think. So, yep, yep, bought it in mid-2013. You had an early one at first, though, too, a 1.6. Yep, yep, ran that from 2010 to 2013. And, and really competitive in it, too. Right, yep, so, ran my first majors race at Mid-Ohio, and uh, that was the demise of the car. Yeah, so it was really cool, though, because whenever we'd be at events, you know, I'd be rooting for you because be out there in the 1.6, which everyone called the uncompetitive car. And you still be beating people, so yeah. that was yeah, and that's, and that's true. I mean, that's true to some extent. I, I'll, I'll admit that there's some people that think they're um, there's some people that think they're equal, but yeah, they don't race the same. And you gotta you gotta have a you gotta have a 99 and up car, I think, to yeah. to do well in majors. Now the runoffs this year, um, I think some of the NAs were at a big disadvantage because having to run at night, you got to run the pop up lights. Uh, were there a bunch of people talking about that at all or anything? Uh, I I heard a little bit. Um, okay, I think I think there were a couple mile an hour. Uh, when you're when you're right behind the other car, I don't don't think it was really anything that made a difference. Yeah. Um. But yeah, running by yourself or if you had a little gap to the car in front of you, yeah, it was it was 
it was something. Okay. Out of curiosity, how many NA cars showed up for, for runoffs? 60, I think we had 62 cars. Total 62, cars. Yeah, oh. total cars. How many were NAs, though? <laughs> Two. Two? Two? Really? Two, maybe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd just be running without any headlights, man. I mean, there were enough lights there. So Mazda, Mazda I paid. I think you had to. You had oh, did you have to have headlights on? Yeah. SCC yeah. rule, I think. Right? Man. You didn't, uh, you didn't really have to. It, yeah. Uh, you could have run without them. The only dark spot was uh, NASCAR 2 um, going to the bus stop. But. Okay. Just turn them on just for that one, and then, you know, turn them back off. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's when you want them down. <laughs> yeah. Right? So. so, yeah, it's uh, Mazda paid the big bucks to have the lights on for that event, which was awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, what was it like racing in that event? It was awesome. Once yeah. It was a lifetime experience. Yeah. We, uh, and, the, and the group did so well with the conditions. I mean, it was it was wet. It was the first time it had rained all week, and uh, 62 cars taking the green flag in the first ever night race at the runoffs and uh yeah it was pretty no pretty cautions. awesome i mean i think there was one car off in in the first hairpin but yeah. uh yeah it was just a awesome display of how good our drivers are yeah i think 60 62 cars started right and like something like high 50s finished like i think most of the cars finished yeah i think there were, there was one car that was off in the horseshoe that transmission issues mm-hmm. um a couple small contacts uh but no full course yellows. I yeah. Mean, I mean, there are many groups throughout the day that, uh, you know, they had 10, 15 cars <laughs> yeah. running in the daytime, <laughs> perfect conditions with a caution or two during the race. And I mean, we and we didn't have that. Yeah. With 60 cars in yeah, the rain was, I was, at night. I was very surprised. So, I mean. I was expecting carnage. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was taking it easy on the first lap just to try to avoid anything. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of it came down to tire strategy, too, for a lot of guys. So it was because it was it was interesting, you know, maybe an hour before the race was supposed to start, it started raining. So and you guys didn't have any like rain practice or anything. No. Nope. So uh, I'm sure that made things quite interesting. For it was sure. stressful. Yeah, <laughs> it was very stressful because, you know, we're, everybody's watching the radar. And at that point, everybody's um, a weatherman. Yeah. Um, so so there's people deciding, uh, you know, do you go rains or go dries? And you're looking at the radar and. It had stopped raining at that point, but there were clouds all around us. There, there was rain all around us, and it looked like it was moving towards us, um, but we didn't know if it was going to get there before the end of the race again. So, and then ended up starting the race a little late, too. Yeah, um, we are talking about that earlier, like maybe 20, 20 to 30 minutes later. or 20, so. Yeah, so that didn't help us at all because, you know, the track was drying at that point. Yeah. And for the first part of the race, the rains were definitely better. Um but towards the last couple of laps, the drives were were much better. Yeah. So when did you get into racing, I guess? You know, because I met you 2013, I think. Like, right around the time Jason met you, I think. But, like, what's your what's your background <laughs> racing? <laughs> None. No? Uh, up until 2010, no. I didn't even think about it. Okay. I just liked driving. Yeah. Just like, you know, like you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about competing for lap times, I mean, everybody's thinking about lap times, right? Like, you yeah. want to be faster than the other guy. Yeah. You want to be the fastest guy in your own group. I don't care what you say. You want to be the fastest guy out there. Um, but I think we were at Daytona for an Audi Club event. I was with my dad and a bunch of pro drivers there, you know, that were uh, testing for the upcoming 24. And they, were, they would either drive uh, students' cars or they would go out and ride and give pointers. 
So guy went out and rode with me. And he says, "Hey, you're pretty good. Uh, you know, you should get in a spec me out." So your first time on track? No, no. no I'd, I'd been running. Uh, so it was this 2009. So I've been running for like two years, just okay. doing HPDs, HPDs, track days. Yeah. What were you driving at that time? Uh, my dad and I would share uh, cars. It was anything from a 944 to a 911, 996. Okay. Uh, Corvette Z06, Mercedes AMG. You know, just. Time, whatever, whatever whatever was around whatever i time. get my hands on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so uh so yeah he's like hey uh you know a guy with a couple of pretty good miatas for sale and that, that's that's where it started okay so you took your like comp school and everything and your miata and yeah so he told us that in december and february um we drove down to cmp to meet up with the guys at long road racing yeah and uh glenn long and those guys yeah glenn and tom were there okay uh, they owned the car at the time and like hey come down and drive it if you like it you can buy it so <laughs> drove it at cmp fucking loved it yeah and yeah that was it <laughs> awesome that was it i did my first race at var like two weeks later got okay. my comp license did my first race i knew nothing <laughs> at all i was making the stupidest moves yeah my first ever qualifying session i qualified on I think I qualified on pole. It was either pole or outside pole with a pretty decent time at VAR. And uh, <clears throat> I went over the scales, and I had no idea that I had to meet a certain weight. <laughs> I was like 60 pounds underweight. Oh, really? So I was going around the paddock <laughs> trying to find weight to put in the car. And uh, oh, that's awesome. I had to start in the back for my first ever race. Yeah. It was like a mixed group of cars. And... Uh, yeah, there was it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. I was making moves in places that you should never make moves. <laughs> I attempted oak tree passes like three or four oh, times. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. So, but at the time you didn't know any better. But looking back now, you're like, God. No, and everything's learning experience, right? You, yeah, I, I still every race you, there's something to take away from it. You never have a perfect race. <clears throat> yeah. So, what about you, Jason? When did you get your start? Uh, back in 2009. Um, so actually, prior to spring 2009, I didn't even know that track days existed. But my good friend, Denny Barker, who I went to college with, um, said, hey, these things do exist. Um, Mid-Ohio has an event with NASA about three hours away. Let's take our streetcars out there. And um, Was that when you were in school in Wisconsin? or That was when I was at Rose Holman okay. in uh, Indiana, okay. Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just bone stock streetcars, went out, did the event, and uh, fell in love. Um, I did three more weekends that year, and uh, it's just been ever-increasing. And that was in your RSX at the time, right? That was the Acura, yep. Okay. Yeah, which you had done a little bit of work to here and there. Uh, I mean, it had a supercharger. Yeah. But other than that, um, stock car. Yeah. Stock suspension and stock alignment. Okay. So, and then after that, I guess you, what, you bought the S2000 in 2010? Yep. Uh, 2010, looking to get into something rear-wheel drive, something different. Yeah. And uh, went S2000, and that was, uh, let's see, 2010, did a few HPDs, started doing some time trial, time trial 2011, 2012, um, built into a race car, ran that for the season, and then 2013 was the, the PTE Miata build, Okay. which I ran for three years. Yeah. Yeah, which you just recently sold. So yep. that was a good little car, man. I miss it already. Yeah. So it was, uh, I always loved it because I, I, you know, I have a thing for white cars and that one, I really, I really wish I was in a position to buy it when you were selling it. <laughs> so, cause that thing just, it's essentially what I would build. 
So, but uh, a lot of people don't know that you, both of you actually have jobs in the industry now too. I know Justin just probably came from the racing, kind of where you, where you ended up now. Um, and Jason's kind of like, Jason's career kind of caused him to go down the racing path, right? So a little bit. So, um, I, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. The, uh, where I'm at right now is yeah, what are you, because what are you doing? of the racing. What are you doing? Uh, so, I, so I work for Roush uh, Industries. We do uh, on-road vehicle testing. Yeah. So basically we're the last line of defense before a car gets put into production, before they get the okay to buy. Okay. Before it gets job one status. Um, so we drive the cars every day. I don't personally drive the cars, but uh, we manage the vehicles. Um, drivers drive the cars every day and evaluate the cars um, and we try to find potential warranty issues okay uh, we, we did get to do some pretty cool stuff last year yeah you were um, you were showing me some of the stuff earlier it's uh kind of perks of the job man pretty pretty sweet yeah so we got to drive some of the cars on uh, uh track up in michigan Groton raceway yeah uh, that was that was a whole lot of fun yeah, it's some... really cool you get to go you get to wake up in the morning at, it's no problem waking up at four thirty in the morning when you, to when go you get drive, to go right? drive on the track. Yeah, uh, evaluate some cars. So basically, you know, we were trying to uh, uh, replicate a, you know, uh, average customer, uh, average, yeah. <laughs> average customer track day. Average customer Beating takes the car to the track out of the day. Cars. So yeah, I mean, we had a wide variety of uh, skill levels there. And, yeah, um, and some of these are like pre-production <laughs> slash final production vehicles from some of the big three, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, saleable. I mean, there were, there was probably some things that they would have to change for the car to be saleable. But yeah, basically saleable. And you're getting to beat the crap out of them before anybody else, really, which is pretty yeah. pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I think before the journalists even got in, them, yeah. so that was cool. Yeah, how'd you uh, how'd you land that gig? Was it mostly from from the racing, like you were talking about earlier? Uh, yeah, actually. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think I started started saying something about that. So yeah. Uh, I do a little plug here. Michael Novak, he's a good friend of mine, uh, and he helps me out a lot with the spec me out of stuff. And I got a place to keep my car, and <laughs> I get a whole hell of a lot of knowledge from the guy. Yeah, and I really look up to him. Um, I met him through Spec Miata. Okay. Um, I was working for my dad at that point in Ohio, and um, he offered me a job up here. Um, doing actually at the time he didn't say what exactly I would be doing. I basically just had to say yes, and uh, it's a secret. Yeah, so I got to come up here, and uh, he got me in with the Ford um, Ford division. Okay. Of Roush, and we also do business with GM and Chrysler and other big manufacturers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. I got into it through racing. Okay. It seems like everything comes from racing. Yeah. Which yeah. is cool. And Jason kind of started racing because of his chosen career path at the time. What uh, what do you do, Jason? Uh, I'm an engineer. Um, I work for General Motors. Yeah. And uh, for I've been with GM for it'll be five years in June. Okay. And so for the first three and a half years, I worked uh, in powertrain, and I uh, was in a group that um, it was advanced uh, engine development, and so we were uh, testing and developing uh, new engine technologies. And so I worked uh, with engineers and. Uh, down in the dyno labs to uh, test and um, improve uh, different technologies. Yeah. So that was real neat. 
Yeah, I know when I first met you and you told me that, I was like, oh, this dude like wears a white lab coat every day in the dino room. Like that's just how I pictured you going to work for some reason. <laughs> no, no white lab coats, but uh, no. otherwise, yeah. <laughs> a cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's in a cubicle. At the GM Country Club, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, but the, the, the dino facility that GM has is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like 80-something uh, dino cells. Really? Yeah. Wow. And this isn't your typical dino cell that you would think when you go to you know an engine builder shop um every one of these cells is like a five million dollar test cell holy crap there's uh hundreds of uh sensor channels um some are actual measured sensors and some are calculated yeah. uh, channels yeah that all get recorded um for every data point that's taken um so you got you know maybe uh 20 30 temperatures all kinds of pressures exhaust intake induction system wow uh, crankcase uh, obviously power and torque, fuel flow, emissions, um, everything you could possibly imagine that you could measure yeah. on an engine and, yeah. uh, is uh, instrumented. And so it's, it's real neat. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're, uh, we've talked before. We're, uh, I'm trying to get you to write some articles for the site, and the big one is uh, horsepower-torque relationship. So, <laughs> so I think we got to get you to do that one at least. I, I will get around to that. Yeah. yeah. So in all of your race cars, you've tuned yourself in the past, and mm -hmm. so and you know I know we've you've we've kind of like talked about a couple ideas here and there, especially about being able to like kind of have a a cutoff point for the horsepower where it just makes constant horsepower after a certain point. Yeah. But yeah. so that's what that's that's why I like building your car, building your spec Miata, you know, just kind of goes in line with everything that that I've experienced from you. It's all just I mean you caged your S two thousand yourself. At the time, I don't think you'd really done a roll cage before, right? Didn't you have to buy like a tubing bender and borrowed a tubing bender? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First time experience, so um, definitely uh, building a race car and uh, my career go hand in hand, right? It's yeah. Uh, building a car is an engineering challenge, and yeah, I take a lot of enjoyment. It's my primary hobby. Um, enjoy every bit of it. Well, that's what I love. You know, you you're educated in the industry, but you also build your own cars, and they just happen to be very competitive cars too. I mean, a lot of that comes down to being a, dry, a good driver too, but. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I have a lot to learn this next season and yeah. spec me out of here. Yeah, so, so it's kind of, and you know, going from like PTE to spec me out of, there's always a bunch more cars to race. You're not worried about, hey, are we gonna have enough in class for contingency? Like pretty much for the most part, it's always, yeah, we're gonna have enough people for contingency. So yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, you gonna try and run the runoffs this year? Plan to hope yeah. to. Okay. Yeah, you got to get that dang car done first, man. Got to get the car done. Got to get it out to events and actually qualify for runoffs. Yeah. And, but uh, assuming all that goes well, I plan to be there. Mid Ohio's home track, so yeah, can't miss it if I if I can otherwise attend. Yeah, and I know like back in 2012, I mean, you had gotten a lot of seat time. I mean, at that point, didn't we estimate that you had like thousands of laps in Mid Ohio leading up to nationals? I forget the number, but uh, yeah, it was something sure. something ridiculous. So. That year, or like total, total at that point. Okay, uh, I don't know how many times I've been to Mid Ohio, but decent. Yeah, decent number. So, so. <laughs> and I mean, you've done a lot of racing in Mid Ohio too. Yeah, probably just as much as Jason. Yeah, probably more. So, and you'll be obviously going to the runoffs this year as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So it'll be it'll be really fun to watch, man. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I think that's probably uh, that's probably my best chance so far. Yeah, winning a national championship, but. Yeah, there's there's always been chances. I mean, we had NASA championships there and just had shitty luck. And yeah, 
So, are there any big rule changes for Spec Miata this year? I know for the most part the rules have been pretty constant. We'll let, the past Jason, couple years. We'll let Jason speak to this one. Yeah. Just lots of little things. Okay. Like like one thing that's new for this year from a chassis standpoint in Spec Miata is um, you're allowed to drop the floor pan. Really? So Miata's being a small car, right? Uh, people that are tall, six foot or more, yeah. struggle to fit, to find a comfortable seating position, have proper clearance from their helmet to the cage and all that. Mm -hmm. And so a new rule for this year is you can lower the driver's side floor pan. Um, you can get about an inch and three quarter out of it. Really? Which is huge. Wow. So that'll be, yeah, that'll be pretty interesting there. Um, any other big changes? Uh, nothing too large. Okay. Yeah. Cause when it comes to, it comes to rule sets and things like that, like I think one of the reasons that Jason's been so competitive, uh, in the past too, is, is being able to read and interpret the rules and, you know, pretty much build the car, the most competitive car that you can to the extent of the rules. Um, and that's one thing, like, I remember back when you were caging the S2000. Car. It's all car. Yeah, it's all, it's all car. Jason can't really actually drive. No. So he runs telemetry <laughs> and just, like, programs everything in. So he's got an Excel Excel macro. He does all of his... <laughs> oh, I got the Matt, gearing, lab, the Matt gearing. lab simulation program. Yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but he, you've had that does. for a while now. <laughs> yeah. So for for gearing at least that's what it, it used to just be gearing mostly no now it's but, gearing and arrow and oh yeah it does all kinds of fully fully developed yeah so i've i mean i've been slowly developing this uh simulation program 99.99 a month at jasoncolerracing.com oh no i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> i'm probably the only one that can actually figure out how to use that yeah. thing <laughs> Um, it's like Biff's car from uh, from Back to the Future. Like he's the only one that knows how to get it to start. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. How did how did that come about? Did you start developing that in school, or was it was it afterwards? I don't know when I started this. It must have been uh, 2010 or 11, something okay. like that. Um, I just wanted to start um, using a computer to predict vehicle performance. So yeah. the first thing was just a straight line acceleration model. So take the vehicle parameters right uh weight power drag um and predict how that vehicle accelerates down a straightaway right kind of figure out um like i remember testing it so say a 71 mile per hour exit speed uh at the exit curbing of the keyhole in ohio what's your top speed going to be down at the end of the straight yeah and you can play with you know different gearing and and shift times like how much does your shift time affect your time to get to the end of the straightaway and whatnot? Okay. And so originally it was just a straight line acceleration model, but then uh, eventually I um, kept working on it, and it's a it's a full lap simulator. Right. And so it takes a GPS trace for road course or, or any course, and it uh, models the car driving around it on that line. Okay. And so you can play with all kinds of parameters, aero and uh, tire grip, weight, power, gearing. Um, so it's kind of neat what you can do. Yeah. So that's, that's Jason's secret, man. He's got the answers to the test before he even shows up. Well, yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> so you want to see if at this track it would be advantageous to run with your wing or... Yeah, that was the the big thing at Miller for you too, right? Because you showed up with a bunch of arrow, you know, on the car. You had your air dam and your, you know, your wing mm -hmm. running PTE. Um at nationals in, in 2013 mm -hmm. and by the end of the weekend all the arrow was gone it was gone yeah <laughs> and so there's a part of those are part of those mind games too right yeah and, when you're at the track and there's a distinct difference between um being able to put down the best lap time and having a car that's raceable yeah and so 
by ditching the arrow at Miller, I was able to um, benefit my power to weight just the way the PTE classing worked out. Right, because you got all those points back. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so it turns out that it's easier to race a car that's faster on the straightaway and slower in the corner hmm. than it is to race a car that's faster in the corner and slower on the straight. Really? Okay. That makes. I guess that makes sense, yeah, because if there's anybody in front of you, you can't really take advantage of the corner as much without running offline to get more space to get around them, and then you're offline and not as quick. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I guess for, like, time trials, it might make more sense. But for, you know, for wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing... You also have to take that into account. So, yep. lots so, of considerations. Yeah. So, did your did your sim actually say what the difference would have been in time with the arrow versus without the arrow? But more, I guess, at the time, was it more power or was it less weight that you were able to run, or both? Because didn't you bump it up to like a PTE star classification for yep. instead of PTE with the arrow? Because you get seven points back. And that's what I did. Okay. Um, at the time, I was running a, a stock, unopened motor, nothing fancy. It made one hundred and twenty-five wheel horsepower yeah and so i wasn't able to uh, increase the power when i dropped the arrow so what is that just reduced the weight i think i was able to take about 120 pounds out of the car okay uh to lose the wing and air dam which at the time when we were talking about running pte miatas didn't we kind of calculate that 100 pounds is worth about a second at gingerman is that um, what that what that kind of was i think it's more like uh, i'm not sure about gingerman specifically but uh usually like 160 pounds is what I figure okay. relates okay. to about a second in, okay. in a Miata. Maybe it was in the S2000 where it was around 100 pounds was worth a second. I can't remember. Can't but remember. for some reason that stuck that stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like there was a lot of times like that time we went skiing, Jason and I would like stay up after we went skiing and just like geek out about different setups and like benefits of them and things like that when, when we'd go skiing like literally until like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I was like, man, such nerds, such absolute nerds. So, and I know Jason, you know, I guess that was kind of the benefit for you for running PT classes and things like that is that it was kind of an engineering challenge for you. Yeah. So how are you transitioning into the spec Miata? You know, cause it's mostly just set up at that point. That's the thing. PT is awesome because there's so many ways you can tackle that. Uh, you could build a thousand different cars. They're yeah. a little bit different. Um, spec Miata, keyword being spec. There's not a lot to play with, um, so I'll miss that. Yeah. Um, you still get to do a lot of uh, alignment and setup tweaks, right? So you can run more over camber and ride height yeah. and toe. Uh, is there is there a minimum weight. ride height at all in Spec Miata? There's not. No. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's a limit to how far you would want to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, so there's a still gains to be had by optimizing what you can change okay um, especially for a given track i know justin can speak to this more than i can but um going to different tracks there's very much track specific setups that yeah. drivers will do yeah yeah justin did you um how did you start learning the setup game for for spec miata you know just coming from track day stuff driving a bunch of different cars and maybe tweaking things here and there going to a race car that you're driving all the time and setting up differently like how did you kind of figure out what worked and what didn't <laughs> Uh, I didn't. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, the first few years, it was really lax with the setup. Um, we would, uh... Just go out and drive. We, yeah, we had a, yeah, and we had a baseline that was just based on what other people told us. Yeah. And we didn't really do anything track-specific. I mean, we would adjust cross-weight, um, at the track, which is probably the easiest thing to do and probably the most beneficial thing to do. 
Mostly you, just you, ride height changes. Yeah, and, just ride height changes. Yeah. And usually, man, like usually one, just one or two corners. And that's yeah, I mean, it. usually just yeah. change the left rear. Yeah. Like mid Ohio likes likes a lot of cross weight. So if I don't feel like it's getting out of the keyhole very well, raise up the left rear of the car. Yeah. Um, we've gotten better. Uh, we've gotten better the past couple of years having the car um, at Roush, um, having a place to do the alignments. Um, we kind of came up with our my own baseline and uh, certain tracks. Just we just deviate cross weight really. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think walking Watkins Glen's a track that seems to like closer to fifty. Mid Ohio's weird. It's like fifty two percent cross weight, and huh. it usually we, we'll set it somewhere. I mean, even when we go to the track, we still have to adjust it. Okay. And it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Like, yeah, a lot of it's just driving. I mean, a lot of I think a lot of people geek out too much over it or put too much emphasis on yeah, it. Yeah, I think they geek out too much about it. Or yeah. it, it is important for sure. It is important to have a good baseline setup. But, yeah. Um, you know, it's not it's not three seconds a lap. Yeah, which is great because like the kind of the the contrast between like your your style <laughs> and Jason's style here, like literally, like I'll be at the track with Jason. And like I can, he'll just be like sitting there, kind of quiet, and I can tell like he's going through his head, like what can I do to make this thing faster? Like what can we do? Yeah, you know, it's a, you know, it's and I do the same, you know, yeah, I do the same things. Yeah, and I'm not thinking really about the technical aspect of it, but just playing through previous sessions, and I look at data sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I look at data too. I just uh, take Justin's data and overlay it on mine, figure out where I can go faster. Yeah. <laughs> What was great, like uh, Jason and I used to swap data back and forth a little bit when we were doing the S2000 thing. And my favorite was when at Mid Ohio, when everybody, all the S2000 guys were driving the um, my red my red car. I think we had an Aim Solo in the car for everybody, and so it was like me, you, Aaron Lichty, David Proudfoot. Um, did anybody? I can't remember if anybody else drove it. I think it was just the four of us. But it was really cool. All of us, same track, same weekend, same car being able to compare data and it was it was really interesting like uh jason was really really fast in the keyhole and i think um jason was or aaron was really quick jason was quick in the keyhole aaron was quick up over madness uh, i don't think i was faster than anybody anywhere but uh it was still like pretty consistent <laughs> yeah it was pretty consistent through the whole thing i think i think i beat aaron beat me by a lot aaron just like whooped us completely and i was like oh okay cool man like i suck i'm gonna go home and sell everything <laughs> but that's just that's just aaron um but it, it was really interesting to be able to compare i think i still have that that data overlay from everyone's fast laps in my inbox too so it'd be fun to look at it yeah i might sometime. i might have to post that up so but yeah i think aaron got down to like a 149.7 i think i was at like 150.2 uh, and you and Jason, or you and um, and Proudfoot, David Proudfoot, were up around like the one, one fifty point eight or something. But I mean, you guys had never driven the car before either, so first time in a Miata. Yeah, yeah. And look at look at what I did. I mean, and it's now all your fault. Aaron had been around Miatas a lot, but now like he's racing Miatas. Proudfoot has a Corvette now, so he kind of went the other route. <laughs> but and he's, I think he still has an S two thousand, but mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it was just really neat being able to compare that, uh, and that's that's really how you go faster. Like that's why I don't know if you have any like Spec Miata drivers that you share yeah. data with. Yeah, but... so we uh, uh, a lot of times the events around here, 
probably eight or ten drivers that park close to each other and sometimes we'll we'll even park the trucks so that we have our own little like courtyard area oh, yeah. with a fire in the middle circling the circling the wagons here. yeah and ralph provitz uh will go around and download all the aim data yeah take it into his trailer i don't know what he uses it for <laughs> i think he i think he just reads it at night before he goes to bed or something um but yeah that that uh that helps a lot novak and i he compares novak's and i's data yeah um you gonna let Jason in on that when he uh, when he starts racing oh, yeah, me out? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's one big family. That's yeah. the cool thing about it. Is... Yeah, and I mean together you can end up going faster. Yeah, so that's what's so great. Yeah, about Mike it. and I together have gotten faster. You can bring Jason in on that and that benefit a lot. Yeah, um, but it's helped me a lot. I don't think I would have done as well at Blackhawk last year if it wasn't for looking at Mike's data. Oh yeah, comparing it. Um, what are you generally looking for when you're comparing data with somebody else? Um, speed and braking zones well, or well really you want them to look identical Similar, right? if yeah. they're both fast yeah um but there was one corner for example there was one corner where you could see his uh you could see his braking curve and both of our braking curves had very similar slopes but then once it got down to the bottom where it went back to a positive slope his was a really really nice curve it went from like you know full braking right back up to full acceleration and mine was there was like a little hesitation there and i was thinking kind of playing back through my head what i was what was going on in that corner and uh i'd go through and i'd get back to gas everything's good but then you know get three quarters of the way through the corner and if i didn't lift off the gas a little bit i'd you know put a wheel off track Ah. so i was having a lift so we made a setup change and loosened the car up a little bit in those particular corners and next session we were Half second faster lap. Oh wow! Mostly from that corner. Is that what the data was showing, or was well, it everywhere? The, yeah, that, that were... it was that corner. But you reap. But there's the other corners in the track corners. that are very similar. Yeah. So they were they were 90 degree right handers. Okay. Fairly low speed. Yeah. Low third gear. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't think I would have done as well if we didn't have data looking at that. Hmm. What about you, Jason? Like, what do you do when you're looking at data? Like, what do you look at first? Uh, so a lot of times. Um, I've got uh, somebody with a similar car, um, similar experience. Um, I don't have any, anyone else's data to look at. Yeah. I've just got mine. And so um, one of the struggles is being consistent. Right. And so in, in racing, it's not just about the fastest lap. It's about making all your laps as close as possible. And um, so if I'm looking at data and I got, you know, one particular corner where every lap there's a large different not a large but you know um each lap has a different min cornering speed yeah that tells me i'm not very consistent in okay. that particular location on the track and so i'll focus on that corner is maybe uh the spot where there's the biggest gains to be had okay yeah and i know probably when you first started out the variations were a lot larger like what kind of difference in speed are we talking about now just like a mile an hour or two yeah 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 i'm sure before it was like three or four but Sure. But yeah, as you get as you get more consistent, you know it it comes down for sure. <laughs> yeah, really throughout a race, you want your laps to be, it, assuming there's no traffic, you know, within two or three tenths yeah. every lap. Yeah. So it, it was funny because I I did an event in the wagon in December, and you know I just I couldn't make the thing go any faster, and all the laps were within like a tenth or two of each other. And I posted up, I was like, yeah, you know, I focus on consistency. 
And then I was, it was something, yeah, it was, well, what do you do when you're driving a slow car? You know, like you focus on consistency when you just can't go any faster. And Emilio came in there and like crapped all over and he's like, yeah, consistency's good unless you're consistently slow. I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's making me feel like crap about myself. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. But, but you weren't. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> that was a fun event. So I'll have to let you guys drive the wagon sometime. It's pretty surprising. It handles it handles well. It's not fast, but I was passing spec Miatas though, so that was wonderful. It might not have been a well-driven spec <laughs> Miata, but still, it's passing spec Miatas. So. Faster in a straight line? Uh, I don't know. Probably. I think I think it probably had to have been faster in a straight line, uh, but that's a big heavy boat in the corners. Must be all that torque. It's all the torque, man. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, torque versus horsepower. Oh. We gotta get we gotta get a full paper, and then we can All talk right, about. Jason. You guys know what you're break. starting here, Go ahead. and then we can talk about uh, transponder placement. Mm. So, but yeah, what's uh, what's the big deal with torque? Because you know, uh, for people that don't know, yes, Jason works for GM, but he also has a what a master's in automotive engineering, uh, master's in mechanical engineering. Okay, from Rose Holman, uh, from uh, University of Wisconsin Madison for the master's. Oh, for actually. master's? Then what'd you? But you got your undergrad at Madison too, right? Yep, bachelor's at uh, no, uh, bachelor's at Rose Holman. Oh, okay. Um, and then master's at UW. Oh, see, I thought it was backwards. Okay, well, never mind. I'm Same an diff. idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about this because this has been a big discussion that we have a little bit since I don't know 2012 maybe. So uh, go ahead, tell us tell us what the the whole theory is between horsepower and and torque because they're they're related. They are related, um, and if you have RPM to go along with horsepower and torque, really what you have is redundant information. Okay. Um, but at the same time, um, they're not the same. Yeah. So this all started back when we were talking about PT stuff. Yeah. And uh, in PT, there's a thing called a dyno reclass, which means uh, basically um, you get a specified horsepower and weight and a class, and you got to make sure you dyno less than that horsepower and um, meet that weight. And so <clears throat> people will play tricks, right? They'll make their horsepower curve flatline to try and get constant horsepower and all that for uh, optimum acceleration and minimum lap time. Um, but there's always the debate, well, what about torque? Should torque be included in that calculation? How come there's not a torque cap? Should we average horsepower and torque? And... Um, I guess the short answer is, is torque isn't something that affects vehicle acceleration. Uh, horsepower is what uh, is the determining factor. Um, torque is con a convenient metric to use to describe and compare two engines that um, are similar. Yeah. But uh, it's not really a useful metric for talking about how fast the vehicle accelerates. Okay. And uh, eventually, if I get around to publishing that article, that will go into all the physics and background of why that is. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot to it, and we've been talking about it for for quite a while. And I mean, you know, after our first talk, you pretty much won me over. So hopefully, we can do the same for uh, for a lot of other listeners and readers out there. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, and then uh, I guess next up is the, the transponder placement thing. Mm. Uh, you know, this probably started back I don't know October of this year when I was having a discussion with Adam about it, and. Uh, you know, I, I called Jason and I was like, hey, man, I have this idea. Uh, is it right? Mm -hmm. And Jason's the only one 
that agreed with me, although it's a very minute difference, but um, I guess the difference, the, the elapsed time between the front transponder crossing and the rear transponder crossing, the only time that the elapsed time will be the exact same is if the car is going across the line at the same exact speed, at the same exact rate of acceleration. Yes. Right? Yeah. So Not even the rate of acceleration. If the trans... Oh. No, actually, that was because you're right. accelerating across the line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we we might have to uh, incorporate that into your your Excel uh, sheet, your calculations, and we can almost prove it with that. We could probably make that work. Yeah, before we even go to the track. So, uh, I'm definitely getting that big boy dinner from uh, from Adam Jubay. <laughs> I'm going for it, man. Is that, I'm going is that for the it. current bet? Yeah, that's that's what's up. That's what's up on the line. It was it was winner winner chicken dinner. And we're gonna go to KFC, but. When in when in South Haven, you have to go to Big Boy. Well, before uh, before we air this uh, uh, podcast, you should see if you can get him to up the ante. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I'm definitely gonna win. So, and everyone's like, "No, you can only do it if you change the place or the you know where the transponder is located on the car." Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win. It might be very minute, but I'm gonna prove it with maths. From somebody with an automotive, or sorry, with with a master's in engineering, we're gonna fix it. So I'm gonna win. I'm not an engineer, but I don't see it. No, you don't see it. No, I mean it's on. It's it's not changing position on the car as you as you do your lap. Nope. And, it's not. And where it picks up the transponder is a fixed location. It's just on a different spot on the car. Yeah. It's very complicated. We have to. It's very complicated. Very. So, but Jason, Jason knows I'm right. <laughs> Jason, Jason, Jason's usually right. So, <laughs> so think about this, like in an extreme, if you, if the car starts from a standing start and there's a transponder at the front of the car and at the rear of the car, the speed that the front of the car crosses the line is going to be slower than the speed that the rear of the car crosses the line, right? You know, and the elapsed right. time uh, over 10 feet, depending on how you launch the car, could be like a second. And then, you know, you run a lap, you come across hot, and the elapsed time that the front versus the rear crosses is going to be more like a tenth of a second or two-tenths of a second or whatever. So the lap time, the transponders are going to read different. So that's at the extreme doing a standing start. So if you say you come across the the start-finish line at 90 miles an hour, and the next lap you come across at 91, the elapsed time between the front transponder and the rear transponder crossing is going to be different. So theoretically, the rear, the elapsed time that the rear transponder ran around the track versus the front transponder running around the lap is going to be shorter. So unless you're like exactly spot on, the same, you know, we're talking about consistency earlier. You're saying because of the speed. Yeah. So like, the, the so like when the front of the car crosses the crosses the point that it picks up the time. Yeah. Compared to when you're it doing did last ninety. Time, but then yeah. when the rear of the car passes it, you're doing 91. Yeah. So versus the lap before, if it crosses at 90.1 versus 91.1, it's still going to be a smaller time in between. So the rear transponder will technically be passing faster lap time-wise than the front. And I'm pretty sure... It's very minute. I'm pretty sure we're talking thousands or less of a second. Yeah. But yeah. technically, that is a difference... It is. So I don't know technically if, that will entitle you to a free dinner. It will. So I, I don't know if the you know if 
the difference can actually be found within the system limits. You know, it might be just within the, the standard deviation that, you know, it allows for the variance. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's always made sense in my head. So and I think the next thing that we're going to do in addition to that is run all the different data systems at the same time and see how much variance there is. Because we talked about that back in the day. I'm curious about that. Yeah. I haven't done any comparison from back from the days of using a TrackMaster yeah. on my phone so. and comparing that to the AIM Solo and the um, uh, AMB Transponder. Yeah. So we're going to do the AMB Transponder. We'll probably do a couple of the phone apps with 10 gigahertz um, stuff. We'll do AIM, um, maybe RaceKeeper, um, maybe some of the data, what, the DL1 stuff, the older stuff, TrackMate. Uh, we're just going to load the car up completely with all of these systems and run it all at the same time. I'll be curious. Yeah, which appeals to Jason's engineering side. You know what's interesting is uh, back when I was doing um, the TrackMaster stuff mm -hmm. and then upgraded to the AIM Solo, which is a, a great unit and I love it. Yeah. Um, the TrackMaster with my one hertz internal phone GPS was more consistent, more accurate to the AMB transponder. Really? Than the AIM Solo was. Wow. Yeah. Huh, I wonder what that's from. I'm guessing the, the algorithm they use to interpolate um, your uh, finish time yeah. was uh, more robust, okay. more accurate. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I remember one time at Audubon South, like I was so excited because I ran like a 134.8 or something. And then I got like the actual official lap time and it was like a 135.0. I was like, are you shitting me? Isn't that frustrating? Like I was in the 134s. Come on. Yeah. Or when you have your predictive, uh, when you have your predictive lap up, and you're watching it, and watching it, and watching it. Yeah. And you say, "Oh shit, I'm on a 22. I'm on a 22. This is great." And I'm thinking, "I have 22.5. I'm on a 22.5. Holy shit, this is like <laughs> this is faster than anybody's gone around in this car." Grotten in a 22.5. 20, you... 122.5. What kind of car was that, man? No, you don't have to say if you don't want and to. Then, and then you cross the line, and it's a 23 flat. Yeah. Where did that what? come from? <laughs> <laughs> So it's always so bad. Hey, I threw away a national championship from watching the lap timer a little too close. So freaking Jason threw a banana peel out at me. There's a nice video. I'll have to link there's it proof. to this. Yeah, there's proof. He threw a banana peel out, and I lost it up over madness. Yeah, spun him right off. God, such an a-hole, man. <laughs> so it must have been because I farted too much in the trailer that night before and like made it all stinky. <laughs> but so. My other favorite thing, too, is uh, occasionally we would have um, a decent amount of drinks at the track at night, and somebody... What? Somebody, yeah, what? That never happens. No. Okay. Somebody in this room would uh, sometimes miss qualifying or at least practice um, in the morning. Huh. Uh, and his name, his last name might start with a K. So. Are you going to say his first name might start with a J? Yeah, I, I was about to. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there were a couple of times where we had, especially when, uh, when our buddy Nate was with us, um, where we, you know, had some shenanigans at night. That may or may not have involved stickers. Um, mm, stickers. Yeah. Jason was very hard to wake up the next morning. It was great. <laughs> There's a time when sleep is more valuable than, than uh, yeah. warm up. Yeah. See, that's the, that's the engineering method right there. You know, it's just making sure that you're doing just what's important. <laughs> that's right. So, well, it's getting a little late. Uh, we should probably cut this off, but uh, really appreciate it, guys. Where can people find out more about you? Both of you. Both of you that start in or name what starts with a J. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, if you want to watch any race videos, YouTube. you can always you can always YouTube Justin Hilly H I L L E. Yep. Um, that's about it. I don't have a website or anything. It's you know 
at this point it's just a hobby so yeah but but yeah check out the race videos there's some really good stuff from last year yeah yeah definitely will and we'll share that too what about you jason so i used to have a website yep adrenaline auto sport yeah it uh it broke itself a while yeah. back and i haven't bothered to fix it now That's it's just a... we got to bring stuff over to track tune man yeah yeah um but um i do have youtube um, so you can find me on there, Stills. Jason Kohler. Okay. Just type in Jason Kohler Miata. It's not speed sure. engineer anymore? No. Are you still speed engineer on some of the forums? Still speed engineer. Okay. Um, actually, if you're interested, I've got a uh, build blog on Mazda Racers. From oh, Spectrum that's right. MazdaRacers.com. Yep. So you can check that out and tell me how I'm doing everything wrong. <laughs> awesome. Well, we really appreciate it, guys. And uh, let's all get some rest. <laughs> Sounds Something great. like that. Have a good one. Thanks for having us on us. Sure. Thanks for coming on. And now for today's speed secret with Ross Bentley. So something that I talk about a lot and a lot of drivers talk about is rotating the car into a corner. So what does that really mean? What does that what does that mean? First of all, if you think about it as, you know, you've got your car here, and if you think about looking down on your car from the, from the from above, if you think about it the car is changing angle like this. And if you're looking down there, it's rotating this way. And we can do that to help us get the car to turn into a corner better. And we do that primarily through the right timing and rate of releasing of the brakes, as well as feeding into the steering wheel. If you come into a corner and you take your foot off the brake pedal and then turn the wheel, you're really relying on the front tires to change the direction of the car. But if you, change the way you do that if you um, you release the brakes while you're turning in you're using weight transfer as well to help change the direction of the car and by doing that if you get that right you can rotate the car again what it would look like looking down from above on the car you can rotate the car into the turn and you can get the car to change direction more more dramatically sometimes you need that sometimes you don't this is not a you should always rotate a car or you should never rotate a car there's a time and a place for it for every car in in different types of corners typically typically it's going to be in the slower tighter corners where you're going to want to rotate the car more and in the faster uh, larger radius corners you're going to do less of that now in the middle of a corner you can also rotate the car by a change in the balance of the car so as you're going through a corner if you're fed in a little bit of throttle a little bit of acceleration and then you just kind of do a little breathe of the throttle a little lift of the throttle if you do that it'll also transfer some weight forward and it'll change the, the direction. So now you're kind of in the middle of the corner rotating the car a little bit. So we can, we can play around with that. That's what rotating the car means. And it's just a, it's a, it's a tool we use in, you know, by um, changing our techniques around our braking, our brake release, what we do with throttle and what we do with the steering wheel. And we do that to help change the direction of the car without reducing our speed. For more on Ross and Speed Secrets, you can visit SpeedSecrets.com.